Uh, welcome to case three, sepsis after mini PCNL. Hello, and thank you for coming back to the AUA University podcast series. Today's topic will be court is in session, a moot court back for a second year in AUA 2017. Topics related to the legal implications of real life urological issues will be tried before this court. These cases have some videos and images that you will not be able to see, and you can see the full videos at aua2017.org. Uh, welcome to case three, sepsis after mini PCNL. Uh, the defendant is Zeph Okeke from New York. I'm your moderator, Stephen Nakata from Wisconsin. Expert witness for the defense, Glenn Preminger from North Carolina. Expert witness plaintiff, Oja Shah from New York. The indication for the case is a uh, left large renal stone and urosepsis. The procedure is left mini percutaneous nephrolithotomy. The complication is sepsis. ICU admission, angioembolization, and left arm compartment syndrome, the outcome, outcome is discharge home. The background, this is a 68-year-old woman who presented to her primary care physician in September of 2014 with irritative voiding symptoms suggested of, of cystitis. She was treated with culture-directed antibiotics and her symptoms resolved. Uh, a month later, she had recurrence of her symptoms, uh, this time with gross hematuria. CT scan revealed a 1.7 centimeter stone involving the left renal pelvis with mild hydronephrosis. She was promptly referred for evaluation after being placed on culture-directed antibiotics. On presentation to the urologist, she was asymptomatic and had just completed her course of antibiotics. Past history includes atrial fibrillation, uh, DVT of the left leg, uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma treated with chemotherapy in 2010, breast cancer treated with mastectomy chemotherapy, and radiation in 2008. Past surgical history is shockwave lithotripsy times two for a 0.8 centimeter left pelvic stone 10 years ago, uh, cystoscopy and stent insertion. All treatment options were and associated risks uh, and benefits were discussed, including ureteroscopy, shockwave lithotripsy, and PCNL. Given the suspicion for the stone being a nidus for her repeated infections, she was steered towards PCNL as a better option for being made stone-free. The patient expressed uh, her preference for shockwave uh, since she had it before with good results. Uh, the urologist felt this to be an inferior option given her current larger stone size and the issue of recurrent infections. The urologist offered mini PCNL to allay the patient's fears regarding having an incision. Here are uh, representative radiographs, uh, upper left of the stone, uh, lower right of uh, the puncture. Hospital course, the urine culture was not repeated to show proof of cure. Uh, patient took uh, the last dose of trimethoprim sulfa the day before the surgery. Urinalysis showed negative nitrates and small leukocyte esterase. On 1-8-15, the patient underwent a left mini PCNL. Matrix struvite stone was removed. Uh, one puncture to the lower pole, one dilation to 20 French. The estimated blood loss was minimal. OR time was 64 minutes. Fluoroscopy was 180 seconds. A 12 French cope loop nephrostomy was placed at the end of the procedure. IV uh, meropenem was given intraoperatively. In recovery room, the patient became hypotensive and febrile. Temperature 103, heart rate in the 120s, uh, blood pressure 80s over 40s with fluids and oppressor. Antibiotic coverage was broadened with the addition of vancomycin. She was transferred from the recovery room to the surgical intensive care unit. She stayed there for three days. Uh, she became coagulopathic, platelets from 50 to the 30s. Uh, uh, the INR went from 1 to 1.4. 
intraoperative stone and kidney urine cultured uh, showed multi-drug resistant E. coli, now resistant to uh, TMP sulfa. Uh, blood cultures showed the same organism, also now resistant to TMP sulfa. Chest x-rays showed clear lungs. Uh, Post-op days one, two, three, uh, one through three in the ICU, she was transfused three units, got four units of platelets, two units of FFP. She developed atrial fib with a rapid ventricular response uh, requiring cardioversion. Uh, a digoxin drip was started. Multiple attempts were made to get a radial arterial line by the ICU staff. This uh, caused a compartment syndrome of the left arm. Vascular surgery and plastic surgery performed a fasciotomy at the bedside. A downtrending hematocrit, uh, despite uh, transfusion, was identified. Consultation with interventional radiology was made. Selective angioembolization of a pseudoaneurysm was carried out by interventional radiology. Eventually, presses were successfully weaned off. She stabilized and was transferred out of the ICU to a regular uh, post-surgical inpatient floor. Uh, Post-op days four through 10, she clinically improved, was ambulating, the digoxin drip was switched back to metoprolol. Repeat urine and blood cultures were negative, and the patient was discharged home with a course of oral augmentin for 10 more days as directed by the ID consultant. A final st stone analysis was matrix and struvite. That concludes the case presentation. Mr. Cassidy, if you would like to call your first wit or the defendant. Yes, uh, Dr. Okiki, please. Good afternoon. State your name for the record, please. Uh, Zaf Okiki. Now, uh, Dr. Okiki, can you tell us uh, how it came to be that you were treating Susan Smith? Uh, so she was referred to me by her primary care physician uh, after being diagnosed with a rather large uh, kidney stone. Mm -hmm. And uh, did Ms. Smith tell you that the uh, kidney stone was causing her discomfort? Um, at the time I saw her, she was asymptomatic, but uh, prior to that, on two occasions, she had suffered from uh, pretty debilitating uh, infections, uh, cystitis specifically. Um, and she had been, actually at the time that I saw her, she was just finishing her second course of antibiotics. Okay. And did you have a uh, discussion with her? Um, so yes, I discussed with her that uh, her recurrent infections uh, most likely were being caused by her stone. And I thought that it would be a good idea to get rid of the stone to control the recurrence of the infections. As a result of that, doctor, uh, what course or courses of treatment did you discuss with Ms. Smith? Uh, so we discussed uh, the various treatment options, including the shockwave lithotripsy, which she was familiar with, uh, PCNL, as well as ureteroscopy as options. Mm -hmm. After your discussion, did the patient express to you any preference among those options? Uh, yes, yeah, so she preferred uh, the shockwave lithotripsy because she had a good result with it about 10 years ago with her previous stone. Uh, however, given the uh, recurrent infections and the size of the stone being much larger, about twice the size of uh, what she had previously, I felt uh, the shockwave lithotripsy was uh, an inferior, inferior option to render her stone free. Okay, so, <clears throat> so initially uh, the patient elected uh, shockwave or, or preferred shockwave lith uh, lithotripsy, but you recommended uh, percutaneous nephrolithotomy? Yes, I did. Okay. Um, why did you make that recommendation? Uh, again, given the infections and the size of the stone, I felt it was, uh, it was important to get all of the stone out of her because that was the nidus for the infections, in my view. Okay. 
Um, did the patient agree with your recommendation? Uh, so initially she was uh, apprehensive about having an incision when she had such a good response with the shockwave lithotripsy previously. Um, however, I discussed and uh, offered her mini-PCNL as an option, uh, which would involve a much smaller incision. Okay. And after you offered her the mini-PCNL and, and discussed that procedure with her doctor, what was her uh, preference or election? Uh, she was more agreeable to undergoing the mini-PCNL as an option again, uh, allaying her fears about the uh, incision being smaller. Mm -hmm. And she agreed with the goals of the, uh, of the surgery, which was to render her as stone-free as possible to treat the recurrent infections. Mm -hmm. Did she sign a consent form, doctor? Uh, yes, she did. Uh, this she did after we discussed all the uh, risks associated with, with each of these options, and specifically we focused on the risks associated with PCNL uh, in her case. And, and what risks did you actually discuss with her, doctor? Uh, these included risk of bleeding, uh, angioembolization, uh, risk of needing a blood transfusion, any chest complications, injury to any adjacent organs, and most importantly, sepsis, uh, which we focused on in her case, given that she has a persistent infection, her risk of sepsis was increased. Doctor, was there anything in your uh, pre-procedure workup of Ms. Smith that indicated that she was not a good candidate for mini uh, PCNL? Uh, no, not in my view at that time. She was asymptomatic at the time. She was already on culture-directed antibiotics, in fact, a second course. And I did renew this course again uh, with the same culture-directed antibiotics uh, before her surgery. And what were the results of those tests? Uh, so she uh, underwent uh, pre-surgical testing, and uh, everything was normal. Uh, her urinalysis before that, uh, before the surgery was uh, negative, except for a small amount of uh, leukocyte esterase. And so did you then go on, doctor, uh, with the patient's consent to perform the mini-PCNL? Uh, yes, we did. How yes, did I the did. procedure go? Uh, the procedure went quite well. Did the patient experience any post-operative problems, doctor? Um, so yes, while in the recovery room, about an hour after her surgery, she developed a fever, and uh, uh, so that indicated the presence of some type of an infection. Uh, I brought, her, brought in her antibiotic coverage by giving her vancomycin in addition to the meropenem that she received intraoperatively. Um, eventually, we transferred her to the, or I transferred her to the intensive care unit for better and closer monitoring. And uh, did Ms. Smith, in fact, or had Ms. Smith, in fact, developed an infection? Uh, so yes, ultimately, the urine aspirated from the kidney, uh, the stone itself, and the blood cultures that we drew in the recovery room ultimately uh, came back positive for uh, ESBL, E. coli which was now resistant to the Bactrim, the trimethoprim sulfur that she had been on. Um, how did the patient's uh, condition fare while she was in the surgical ICU, doctor? Uh, so initially, uh, her uh, condition in the uh, intensive care unit was uh, uh, rather unstable. She didn't do quite well initially. Uh, she needed a blood transfusion, and she developed atrial fibrillation, which required cardioversion in addition to an intravenous uh, digoxin drip. And uh, ultimately, um, her, she needed an arterial line, which was difficult to obtain. Uh, after multiple attempts, she developed a compartment syndrome in her left arm. Um, and uh, this required a consultation from vascular surgery and plastic surgery to perform a fasciotomy at the bedside. Okay. And 
the fasciotomy was in fact performed, doctor? So yes, it was performed. And what was the impact on the patient's uh, upper extremity compartment syndrome? Uh, so she uh, recovered full function with the exception of uh, loss of uh, the second uh, finger as a result of the uh, compartment syndrome. Otherwise, the rest of her left arm uh, recovered full function. Mm -hmm. And over time, doctor, did Ms. Smith's condition uh, stabilize and improve? Uh, yes, she improved uh, after three days in the intensive care unit. She did improve and was stable enough to be transferred to the uh, regular post-surgical floor. Um, and uh, she required an additional 10 days. Uh, after the, over the course of the next 10 days, she improved further and was good enough to be discharged uh, home. Uh, Dr. Uh, Okiki, do you believe that there was anything that you could have done either uh, before the procedure or during the procedure, and we're talking about the mini PCNL, that would have headed off or uh, prevented the post-operative infection? Um, no, I don't believe there was anything that we could have altered in terms of our care uh, leading up to the surgery. We followed, I followed uh, the standard protocols and clinical guidelines. Um, and the fact uh, that she had a post-operative infection, these are always a risk, and no matter what uh, surgical procedure you're performing, um, I understand and I appreciate that uh, her complications were terrible, but these are one of the chains of events that can result from an infection after surgery. Doctor, was there any way for you to predict beforehand uh, that Ms. Smith was going to develop this complication, this infection? Um, there was no way to predict it, and again, we did everything, giving her culture-directed antibiotics, and in fact, repeating the course of the antibiotics, which, was, uh, which her infection was sensitive to at the time. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Kiki. Thank you. May I? Yes, sir. Sir, you're familiar with the AUA? Yes, I am. What does that stand for? That's the American Urological Association. That's one of the great, one of the august bodies of intelligentsia in terms of urologic issues, true? That's true. And you're familiar with the Endo-Urology Society's Surgical Management of Stones guidelines? Yes, I am. Would you agree that guidelines are published to help protect the public from carelessness, negligence, malpractice, and even misadventures? Um, I agree the guidelines are there as a guide, and uh, the uh, ultimately, um, whatever is recommended by the guidelines should be supplanted by the physician's experience and the facts of a particular case. And if a physician varies from what that great body of knowledge, the AUA, recommends, he or she has a duty to document the reason for disagreeing and not following the guidelines, true? Uh, so again, the guidelines are just that, a guideline, and the specific facts of the case of that patient, uh, the medical history, and uh, importantly, uh, just as important, the physician's experience and knowledge uh, do factor in greatly. The guidelines in this case don't help you, do they? Uh, again, the guidelines were not specifically applicable to this case. Would you agree that these guidelines are authoritative for urologic surgeons treating kidney stones. Um, so they, again, they're a guideline, and they're meant to um, illustrate how to manage certain cases. They're not always applicable to each specific case. 
uh, they are peer-reviewed peer and uh, they're based on evidence. And uh, again, there are guidelines. And you try to follow the surgical management of stones guideline whenever it's applicable, true? Yes, exactly, when it's applicable, I do follow them. And is it your testimony to our jurors that it's simply not applicable in this case? Is that what you're telling us? Um, so, the, again, you have to factor in uh, the different uh, specifics of the case in making your decision and determination and follow the guidelines as closely as you can, again, as applicable. Was Ms. Smith a good candidate for the mini PCNL? Yes, she was. But doesn't the surgical management of Stone's guideline indicate that with symptomatic patients with total non-lower pole renal stones of less than two centimeters, and by the way, how large was this stone? Uh, her stone was 1.7 centimeters. Meaning less than two centimeters, physicians should offer SWL or URS as treatment options. Do you agree with that, sir? Uh, so actually the guidelines do recognize uh, the shockwave lithotripsy, ureteroscopy, and PCNL as uh, treatment options in, in this particular case. Mrs. Smith told you she wanted the ESWL, true? Yes, she did. Initially that, that is what she preferred. Um, but after discussing all the risks and benefits and the goals of her care, in this particular case, she agreed with the choice for PCNL. In fact, you told her, you instructed her to proceed with the mini PCNL, didn't you? Um, I recommended that as an option for her, and I gave her enough information during the counseling session for her to make an informed decision. You strongly recommended it, didn't you? Uh, again, I gave her all the information that was relevant to her case, enough for her to make her own decision. So despite the AUA guideline indicating SWL was preferred for a stone of her size. Uh, as I said uh, earlier, shockwave lithotripsy along with ureteroscopy and PCNL are options that, were recommend, that are recommended by the guidelines. Did you tell your patient what the AUA guidelines said about a stone smaller than two centimeters? Um, Yes or I no, I told her I didn't. <laughs> I didn't tell her specifically what the guidelines said. We would be there for uh, three days discussing the guidelines uh, specifically. I gave her the information that was relevant to her case. She's not a physician, correct? Uh, no, she is not. She had no medical training, correct? Uh, I believe she's a teacher. When you told her she should have the mini PCNL, <laughs> she didn't know any better, did she? Uh, as I said, this, we had an extensive uh, counseling session discussing all the options and the benefits of each one, and enough information for her to make her decision. Now listen to my question carefully, sir. Mrs. Smith's pre-op urine culture <coughs> showed that she had a urinary tract infection. True? True. And what kind of infection was it? Uh, this was an ESBL E. coli infection. Did you repeat the urine culture just prior to surgery to make sure the infection had been cured? Yes or no? Uh, again, no, I did not repeat the <coughs> Can the, we uh, agree? Culture. Go ahead. No, I did not repeat the culture. She was on culture-directed antibiotics, and there was no reason to believe that she did not respond to two courses of culture-specific antibiotic treatment. Was there a downside to ordering another culture? No. 
You'd agree with me, wouldn't you, sir, that an infection might fail to show up in your analysis, but show up in a culture, true? Yes. And if you'd ordered the urine culture in the hospital prior to surgery, and it had indicated mismiss infection, would you have done anything differently in terms of treating her? Um, yes, if I had an evidence for an infection, yes, I would have treated her differently. But again, I had no evidence for an infection uh, going into the surgery. She was asymptomatic, and she was on appropriate antibiotics. And if you ordered the culture, you would have then had evidence of an infection, true? I'll withdraw that. Question, if you had ordered the urine culture in the hospital prior to surgery and it had indicated mis-misinfection, would you have done anything differently in terms of treating her? You've uh, told us yes, Yes. correct? Yes, I did. And in fact, that's what the AUA guidelines tell you to do, correct? Yes. But you didn't do it for Mrs. Smith? Um, I didn't have any evidence for an infection at that time, so I wouldn't have altered my management at the, at going into the surgery. Meaning you didn't do it for Mrs. Smith? I'll move on. You knew she had experienced recurrent urinary tract infections, right? Yes. And in fact, she had a UTI when she saw her, when you saw her a week before surgery and recommended the mini PCNL, true? Uh, again, uh, by the time I saw her, she was asymptomatic and uh, she was on culture-directed antibiotics. But did it cross your brain to suspect that she might still have an infection. Uh, no, there was no evidence to suggest that at all at that, at that time. And you didn't perform a second urine culture just before the surgery, correct? No. And that was to save the insurance company a couple of bucks? No, that was not the reason for it. Okay. And if you ordered that second urine culture, Miss Smith would have been spared the post-op complications and compartment syndrome and loss of her finger she would have been spared a great deal of pain and anxiety if you'd only ordered that second culture, true? Uh, it's impossible to conclude that from, from your statement. Would you agree that if you ordered it, more likely than not, not 100% in certainty, but more likely than not, we wouldn't be here today? Uh, again, that's impossible to Nothing conclude. further. Mr. Wait a second. Yeah, nothing further. Would you like to call your expert witness? Sir, if you'd like to call your expert witness. Yes. Dr. Shah, please. Hello. Good afternoon, Dr. Shah. Um, we'll walk you through your conclusions in detail in a minute, but first, can you give us your overall opinion of the defendant's care and treatment of Ms. Smith? Overall, I would say that Dr. Okiki failed to meet the standard of care repeatedly in this case. Specifically, who pushed Ms. Smith to consent to a mini PCNL when shockwave lithotripsy or ureteroscopy were the standard and recommended courses of treatment. Then, he failed to order preoperative urine culture that would have revealed her continued infection and resistance patterns, since she would have been on trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole previously and would have resulted in an appropriate delay of stone removal. He also failed to place a nephrostomy tube before surgery, which would have reduced the chance that she would have developed sepsis after surgery, a devastating complication. Let's look at all three failures, not one, not two, all three, one by one. 
First, tell us why you believe that SWL or ureteroscopy were a better course of treatment for this patient. Ms. Smith had a left renal pelvic stone measuring about 1.7 centimeters. That's an intermediate sized stone. For patients with a renal stone burden of less than two centimeters in the renal pelvis, a physician should offer shockwave lithotripsy or ureteroscopy as first-line treatments. This is not just my opinion developed over the course of my career. It is a strong recommendation specified in the Surgical Management of Stone Guidelines published by the AUA and the Endourological Society, which is a definitive resource for urologists. But the defendant takes the position that he did offer Mrs. Smith the option of the SWL treatment, but she ultimately chose the mini-PCNL through a shared decision-making process. Does that let the defendant off the hook? No, quite frankly, it does not. The AUA guideline does state that the patient should be engaged in a shared decision-making process. Uh, uh, regarding the appropriate treatment between shockwave lithotripsy and ureteroscopy, but mini PCNL is clearly not the safest treatment. It has a higher morbidity rate uh, than shockwave lithotripsy or ureteroscopy, and Myth Smith's history of atrial fibrillation and prior DVT should also have been of concern. Yet, Dr. Okiki admits that he highly recommended mini PCNL, a mistake in my view. You read the testimony where the defendant told our jurors that he was concerned about Ms. Smith's recurrent urinary tract infections. I take it you don't agree that mini PCNL was necessary in order to put a quick end to the recurrent infections. I don't see how the recurrent urinary tract infections indicated the need for mini PCNL in this case. There was no indication of a struvite or staghorn stone and an E. coli UTI such as Mrs. Smith's could have been caused by other things in a 68-year-old postmenopausal woman and may not have been related to her stone disease at all. There was simply no justification for departing from the standard treatments of shockwave lithotripsy or ureteroscopy. Additionally, in the setting of a possibly infected stone, since he reported that was his main concern, a standard PCNL would have likely reduced the risk of sepsis more than mini PCNL. Now, once the defendant had obtained Ms. Smith's consent to proceed with the mini-PCNL, you say he should have done more to verify that Ms. Smith was infection-free. Tell us about that. That's right. Dr. Okiki obtained a urine culture when Ms. Smith visited his office about a week before surgery, and that culture revealed that she had an active infection despite having been prescribed culture-specific antibiotics by her primary care physician, which she had just completed. Dr. Okiki prescribed a second course of that same antibiotic, but then failed to follow up with a second urine culture prior to surgery uh, to ensure that the infection had actually been cured prior to this complex case. But the defendant ordered a urinalysis before surgery, which came back negative. Negative nitrites, small leukocyte, esterase. Wasn't that enough? Again, not in this case. The AUA guidelines state that a urinalysis must be obtained prior to intervention but urinalysis of limit is, a, is of limited value in this case because of the nature of her infection that already showed persistence through a course of culture-specific antibiotics. This is why the AUA guidelines also state that in patients with clinical or laboratory signs of infection, a urine culture should be obtained. Given Ms. Smith's very recent and persistent infection, 
Dr. Okiki should have obtained a second urine culture prior to surgery. And what difference would that have made to Mrs. Smith? A second urine culture prior to surgery. Tell us. I, I think it would have made all the difference in the world. The second culture would have revealed that Mrs. Smith's preoperative infection had not been eradicated, and Dr. Okiki would almost certainly have prescribed a different antibiotic prior to surgery and delayed the stone removal until they could be assured that, the Mrs. that Ms. Smith's infection was infection-free to the best degree possible. You also take the position that the defendant should have placed a nephrostomy tube before the mini-PCNL. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Ms. Smith's pre-op imaging showed the evidence of mild hydronephrosis, which is consistent with some degree of obstruction. According to a study by Drs. Benson, Giuliano, and Miller, published in September 2014 uh, in the Journal of Urology, preoperative nephrostomy tube drainage with renal and urine, renal urine cultures and culture-specific antibiotic treatment may decrease the risk of postoperative infectious complications. Ms. Smith's case fits that paradigm to a T. And if the defendant did what you said he should have done, specifically gotten a second urine culture and placed a nephrostomy tube preoperatively, what difference would it make? If the mini-PCNL had been delayed, Dr. Okiki may have come to his senses and recommended shockwave lithotripsy or ureteroscopy as first-line treatments for this stone. Even he wound up, uh, even if he would have uh, ended up proceeding with a mini-PCNL, Performing the surgery after Ms. Smith's infection had been cleared would have significantly reduced the risk of postoperative sepsis. And of course, no sepsis, then no atrial fibrillation, no atrial fibrillation, no arterial line needed, to, uh, no arterial line, arterial line needed and no compartment syndrome due to difficulty placing the line. In other words, Ms. Smith still would have had her stone treated, but she would have had all the use of all of her fingers on her left hand. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Dr. Shaw, uh, you would agree that the patient had uh, urinary tract infections prior to seeing uh, Dr. Okiki? Yes. Okay. And you would agree, doctor, that urinary tract infections uh, bring with them some unpleasant symptoms? Yes. Uh, burning during urination? Yes. Uh, often a frequent or intense urge to urinate, even if little urine is actually voided? Yes. Pain and pressure in the lower back and abdomen? Yes. Cloudy, dark, bloody, foul-smelling urine? Yes. Fatigue? Sure. Fever? Sometimes. Chills? Occasionally. Not a pleasant experience for the patient, correct, doctor? That would be true. And you would agree, doctor, that recurrent urinary tract infections can be debilitating to a patient, correct? They can be. Mm -hmm. Now, you would agree, doctor, that if Ms. Smith's UTIs were being caused by the stone in her left uh, renal pelvis, it made sense to pursue the mini-PCNL treatment because that would offer the best chance for complete stone removal and put an end to these recurrent infections, correct? Not exactly. If the mini-PCNL had been indicated by other factors, including the size of the stone or the fact that Ms. Smith had failed with shockwave lithotripsy or ureteroscopy treatments previously, I, made it, I might agree. 
but all other factors pointed to shockwave lithotripsy or ureteroscopy as the appropriate course. And Ms. Smith's urinary tract infections could have been attributed, could not be attributed definitively to the presence of the stone and were not definitely recurrent. She has had two urinary tract infections. So Dr. Okiki should have gone with shockwave lithotripsy or ureteroscopy as the standard of care. Doctor, you would agree with me that mini PCNL uh, achieves higher stone-free rates than either the SWL or the URS, correct? Yes, but when treating an intermediate-sized stone, as in this case, the difference in stone-free rates isn't significant enough to tip the balance toward PCNL, which has higher risks of both shock, uh, higher risk than shockwave lithotripsy or ureteroscopy. In your opinion? As a fact. As an opinion, doctor. As the data shows. Doctor, there's no data showing that mini PCNL can never be used in a 1.7 centimeter, uh, centimeter stone, correct? That is correct. Right. And in fact, doctor, did the mini PCNL ultimately bring any harm to the patient? It set in, a in, it set in motion a chain of events that resulted in Ms. Smith's suffering some sepsis, atrial fibrillation, compartment syndrome, and loss of use of several of her fingers on her left hand. So yes, I would say it brought her harm. Doctor, do the other procedures that you've recommended or that you've talked about also carry risks with them? They do. Now, with regard to the risks that developed in this case, doctor, one was sepsis, correct? That is correct. And sepsis is a risk of any stone treatment, including the SWL or the uh, ure <coughs> ureteroscopy uh, that you believe should have been performed, correct? Yes, although the sepsis risk may have been decreased if Dr. Okiki had obtained a second urine culture prior to surgery. Uh, doctor, when, when you say it may have been, that, that's sheer speculation on your part, correct? You have no idea what it would have shown. Correct. Okay. Let me ask you again, doctor. Sepsis is a known risk associated with mini PCNL, SWL, and URS treatment for kidney stones, correct? Correct. And if a stone itself is infected and fragments of the stone remain in the body following the SWL, this scenario also increases the risk of sepsis, correct? Unclear if it increases the risk of sepsis, but again, there was no definitive indication prior to surgery that Ms. Smith's stone was infected. Wouldn't you agree, doctor, that recurrent urinary tract infections can be caused by an infected stone? Yes but they can also be caused by many other things in her case, such as her postmenopausal state, and she could have had voiding dysfunction to some degree with incomplete emptying of her bladder. Dr. Okiki failed to investigate other causes of her recent urinary tract infections prior to jumping to treating the stone. But doctor, just to be clear, recurrent urinary tract infections can be caused by an infected kidney stone, correct? Yes. Now, with respect to the issue of obtaining an additional culture, uh, prior to the surgery, uh, you would agree, doctor, that the AUA guidelines uh, call, <clears throat> do not call, excuse me, uh, for obtaining a urine culture prior to intervention in every case, correct? Not in every case, but certainly when there are signs of infection. Ms. Smith had been prescribed culture-specific antibiotics just a week earlier, correct? Yes. Okay. So, she was not being treated uh, 
uh, empirically. She was being treated in response to a specific culture with a specific sensitivity, correct? Correct. And your analysis performed just prior to the surgery uh, came back clean, correct? It was negative for nitrates, but contained some leukocyte esterase, and that's an enzyme which could have pointed to an infection. Doctor, the small amount of leukocyte esterase would not necessarily indicate infection, correct? Not necessarily. And there was absolutely no indication in her medical records that she had any fever or other sign of infection prior to surgery, correct? Correct. So you would agree, doctor, that there were no definitive clinical or laboratory signs of infection just prior to the procedure that would have required a urine culture, correct? Not, not in my opinion. Given Ms. Smith's history of recent urine infections that persisted after her first course of culture-specific antibiotics, a second urine culture should have been obtained as proof of cure prior to her surgery. Doctor, you would agree with me that the AUA guidelines do not specifically state that a urine culture must be obtained in every case where the patient exhibited an infection a week prior to surgery, correct? Correct, not specifically. And you would agree, doctor, that the AUA guideline does not state that a physician should place a <coughs> preoperative nephrostomy tube in any patient who exhibits an infection a week prior to surgery, correct? Correct, but there is evidence that preoperative drainage may help reduce the risk of sepsis. Doctor, I understand you think it might have been helpful, but my question to you is, don't you agree that the AUA guidelines do not require it in the absence of definitive evidence of an infection just prior to surgery? Uh, yes, they don't specifically require it on those facts. Thank you, doctor. Mr. Cassidy, please call okay, your expert Okay, Dr. Preminger, witness. please. Good afternoon, doctor. Good afternoon. Dr. Preminger, uh, you're aware that Dr. Okiki recommended that the patient proceed with mini-PCNL to treat her stone in this case? Yes. The medical records do reflect that Dr. Okiki discussed various treatment options with the patient and that he recommended mini-percutaneous nephrolithotomy as the best of those treatment options. Now, you understand that the plaintiff contends in this case that he made the wrong judgment, correct? No, I don't agree. Dr. Okiki did present SWL as an option. In the case of a 1.7 centimeter stone, and given other factors in Ms. Smith's case, shockwave lithotripsy, ureteroscopy, and percutaneous nephrolithotomy are all valid treatment options. And the choice of treatment should be result of shared decision-making with the patient. And that's exactly what happened in this case. Dr. Uh, Preminger, in your opinion, to a reasonable degree of medical certainty, would shockwave lithotripsy <coughs> have been an equally good course of treatment for the patient? That is, as good in her case as mini-PCNL? No, I don't agree. And why not? Because I, I believe SWL would have been a poor alternative because when dealing with a stone the size of Miss Smith's, there was a significant chance of leaving a significant volume of stone behind 
and since the patient was suffering from recurrent urinary tract infections, and if we left significant stone material behind, uh, she could continue to have recurrent infections. The AUA surgical management of stone guidelines clearly states that if a patient is unlikely to have a satisfactory result with shockwave lithotripsy, a physician may order percutaneous nephrolithotomy as an alternative for stone removal, just as Dr. Okiki did. Furthermore, if Dr. Okiki had proceeded with SWL, there was an equal, if not greater, chance that Mrs. Smith would have experienced sepsis following treatment as a result of stone fragments left behind. And Doctor, uh, again, the plaintiff suggests that Dr. Okiki should have obtained an additional urine culture prior to the procedure. Do you agree with that? No, not really. A urine culture had been obtained at Ms. Smith's visit to Dr. Okiki's office about a week before surgery. Dr. Okiki ordered antibiotics at that time. He prescribed trimethoprim sulfamazoxazole, which had worked in the past with Ms. Smith's on similar infections. Dr. Okiki had no reason to suspect that the E. coli was now resistant to, to trimethoprim sulfamazoxazole. Based upon your review, doctor, did Dr. Okiki do anything to determine that the patient was infection-free at the time of surgery? Yes, he obtained a urine analysis, which is the standard of care and essential per AUA guidelines. And that test came back negative, nitrates and only small leukocyte esterase. There was no sign, other signs of infection. So, doctor, do you have an opinion to a reasonable degree of medical certainty as to whether Dr. Okiki met the standard of care uh, by prescribing trimethoprim uh, sulfamethoxazole at the office and obtaining the urina urinalysis prior, just prior to the surgery? Yes, I believe he, he met the standard of care. Doctor, do you have an opinion to a reasonable degree of medical certainty as to whether Dr. Okiki should have placed a nephrostomy tube prior to surgery? Frankly, I believe that claim is speculative at best. First, there's no definitive evidence that post-op drainage would have made a difference, excuse me, pre-op drainage would have made a difference in this case, uh, since there was very little evidence of obstruction from the stone. And even if pre-op drainage is warranted in some cases. In this case, Dr. Okiki did not have any definitive evidence that the stone itself was infected, nor any other reason to believe that pre-op drainage was indicated. And with respect to the procedure itself, doctor, the mini PCNL, do you have an opinion to a reasonable degree of medical certainty as to whether Dr. Okiki complied with the standard of care in the performance of the procedure? Yes, he did. He removed the stone. There was very little blood loss. Antibiotics were administered intraoperatively, and Dr. Okiki placed the nephrostomy tube at the end of the procedure. The entire procedure took just a little over an hour, and everything seemed to go quite smoothly. So can you tell us, doctor, why then uh, did the patient develop a postoperative infection? Well, postop infection or sepsis is a known risk with many surgeries, including many percutaneous nephrolithotomy. Dr. Okiki advised Ms. Smith of this and other risks before surgery, and he did everything he could to mitigate 
the risk during surgery, including administered perioperative antibiotics. After Ms. Smith's fever spiked and signs of infection appeared postoperatively, Dr. Okiki and his team acted quickly to address the infection, adding another antibiotic, monitoring her condition in the surgical ICU, and addressing her subsequent complications when they came up. Well, doctor, in addition uh, to the infection, the patient also subsequently developed uh, compartment syndrome. Do you have an opinion to a reasonable degree of medical certainty as to whether that was caused by some malfeasance or mistake on the part of Dr. Okiki uh, or someone else involved in the patient's care? No, not at all. Ms. Smith's experienced atrial fibrillation a few days after surgery, and she needed drugs administered through an arterial line to stabilize her heart. Unfortunately, Ms. Smith's body was swollen due to her infection, so the surgical ICU staff had trouble placing her arterial line. But compartment syndrome is a known complication of arterial line placement, and it doesn't mean that anyone failed to follow the standard of care. In fact, I believe Ms. Smith received excellent care from Dr. Okiki and the surgical ICU team despite her complicated path to recovery. Thank you very much, Dr. Preminger. Sir, you say that the defendant presented shockwave therapy as an option, correct? Yes, he did, as described in his testimony and documented on the surgical consent form. But the defendant also testified that he really believed that PCNL was the way to go in yes. Smith's case. Yes, I believe he said something like that. And he made a recommendation, didn't he? Yes, he did. And she followed the recommendation? She consented to undergo mini PNL, yes. You say that if the defendant had proceeded with the shockwave treatment in this case, Ms. Smith still may have developed sepsis due to stone fragments remaining in her kidney. Yes, that's correct. But the defendant didn't know Ms. Smith's stone was infected before her operation when he pushed for the mini PCNL procedure, true? He did not have any definitive evidence of an infection stone prior to surgery. That's correct. But obviously, the recurrent UTIs were a concern and a good indication that the stone should be removed as quickly and completely as possible. But the recurring urinary tract infections could have been attributable to other causes, unrelated to kidney stones, true? Given Ms. Smith's symptoms and medical history, that seems unlikely. But it's possible, isn't it? Yes, it's possible. And in most cases involving a stone less than two centimeters, shockwave therapy or URS would be the recommended course of treatment, correct? I'm not sure I would say most cases. I would say that in cases involving a two-centimeter stone where there's no evidence of it, infection or some other reason that the stone must be removed urgently, that SWL or ureteroscopy are probably indicated. You told our jurors that the defendant's decision to proceed with surgery without obtaining a second urine culture met the standard of care, correct? Yes, given the, given the negative urine analysis, I did. Would you agree that the AUA's clinical guidelines establish standard of care? 
by themselves, guidelines do not establish a standard of care. You'd never admit that here because the defense of this case would be ruined otherwise, true? I'll move on, Judge. But compliance with the guidelines is at least one relevant factor in determining whether a physician met the standard, true? If there's a guideline on point, and if there are no unusual circumstances dictating another course of treatment, then yes, the guideline should be a relevant factor. And physicians should try to follow the best practices or clinical standards set forth in the clinical guidelines, true or false? Yes, all things being equal, urologists should strive to follow the guidelines. So how do you explain the defendant's failure to follow the guideline statement that, quote, in patients with clinical or laboratory signs of infection, urine culture should be obtained, end quote. Should, not could. How do you explain that, sir? I don't believe there was any clinical or laboratory <coughs> signs of infection requiring second preoperative culture. Dr. Okiki prescribed culture-specific antibiotics prior to surgery that should have cured Ms. Smith of her urinary tract infection, and the pre-op urinalysis came back without concerning results. So it was logical for Dr. Okiki to proceed without the second urine culture. But the guidelines also state that, quote, in patients with obstructing stones and suspected infection, clinicians must, not may, must urgently drain the collecting system with a stent or nephrostomy <coughs> tube and delay stone treatment. Is that correct, sir? Yes, but again, without the benefit of hindsight, I'm not sure that Dr. Okiki could have known that the guideline was applicable to Ms. Smith's case. It was not clear that the, that the stone was obstructing and there was no concrete evidence or reason to suspect a lingering infection or to delay treatment. Would there have been any downside, sir, to obtaining a second urine culture? Well, there's the cost of obtaining the test, and Miss Smith's surgery would have been delayed waiting for the results of the culture. The cost, sir. You defend the defendant based upon costs? Tell our jurors, what insurance companies do you have stock in, sir? I'll move on, Judge. But these things pale in comparison to the increased risk of sepsis if surgery goes forward in the presence of an infection, right? Well, yes, but again, the presence of infection is only apparent in hindsight. Thank you. And Judge, the airport calls, so if defense counsel wouldn't mind substituting for me in terms of plaintiff's summation, I'll show that he'll do a great job. Uh, absolutely, sir. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much. much for uh, participating Thank you. today. Thank you. And I am a defense attorney, by the way. <laughs> All right, Mr. Cassidy, if you don't mind taking on the responsibility of both the plaintiffs and the defense closing arguments. Okay, but I'll do them one at a time. Yes, sir. Okay, okay well. First of all, I think I have to uh, increase my height by a few inches at least to be as tall as Glenn, but uh, first, we'll do, first we'll do the plaintiff. So, members of the jury, what you have just heard in this case is evidence of a doctor substituting his poor medical judgment 
for guidelines that are evidence-based and clearly established. This was a stone of 1.7 centimeters. This patient should not have had a mini PCNL as the first line of treatment. If Dr. Okiki had simply done what he was supposed to do and follow the AUA guidelines, the patient would not have had the mini PCNL. She would not, in all likelihood, have gone on to develop sepsis. And she most certainly would not have developed an upper extremity compartment syndrome, resulting uh, in the loss of a digit. You're going to hear, I know, when my brother stands up to give you the closing <laughs> argument for Dr. Okiki, that doctors are entitled to exercise medical judgment. And that's what they spend years in school doing, and medical judgment is within the standard of care. Well, you know, I don't disagree with that, but you have to exercise good medical judgment. Not just any medical judgment, but good medical judgment. And if Dr. Okiki had not thought that he was smarter than the guidelines, knew more than the evidence-based studies that we rely upon, this patient would have been treated in the appropriate fashion, she would have had the appropriate procedure done, and she would not be here before you in the uh, condition that she's in, having lost a digit, having had sepsis following her surgery, and having her life impacted uh, in the way that you would have heard at a real trial for uh, at least several hours how terrible her life has been. So when you go back to the jury room to deliberate, please ask yourselves, is it good enough to say Dr. Okiki exercised his medical judgment and even though his medical judgment turned out to be wrong, that's okay? Or might you ask yourselves, if a doctor is going to depart from the guidelines, from what he or she has been taught, from what's published in the peer-reviewed medical literature by a body as esteemed as the AUA, shouldn't the doctor have a very good, very strong reason for that? So I ask you to please return your verdict uh, in favor of Ms. Smith. Okay? Okay, and now I'm me. <laughs> okay. So, members of the jury, I'm going to take a little bit of, of license here and I'm going to acknowledge that you were also the jury on the case right before this. And what you have here is really the companion case, if you will, to the last informed consent case. If you remember, in the last informed consent case, what you were being told was that the patient made the wrong decision, that you should have been paternalistic, that you should have insisted that the patient have the correct procedure, not the procedure that he opted for, okay? But now, what the plaintiff is telling you is, you've looked at the case, you've looked at this particular patient, 
and you've made a very careful, thoughtful judgment that the cookie cutter approach, if you will, simply blindly following the guidelines isn't in this patient's best interest. And yet here we are in the same courtroom with the same plaintiff's attorney, and now what you're being told is that you have to just follow the guidelines. You can't exert any influence on the patient. You shouldn't use your best clinical judgment in advising a patient. Well, I would submit to you that that's just absolutely backwards. Uh, if it were that easy, I could be a doctor. Doctors go to school for many years. They're trained, and the, the essence of being a physician is clinical judgment. And what Dr. Okiki did here was in the best traditions of medicine. He didn't just go and look and say, okay, this is what the book says, this is what I'm going to do. He talked with his patient, he assessed his patient, and he made a judgment as to what he thought was the better course. He advised the patient of that. The patient, in this case, followed his advice and unfortunately had a bad outcome. But as we know, if you look at the case before, the patient didn't follow the advice and had a bad outcome. In this case, followed the advice and had a bad outcome. Bad outcomes occur. Bad outcomes are not avoidable, even by the best physicians. The fact that the patient had a complication does not mean that Dr. Okiki was negligent. And I would submit to you that Dr. Okiki exercised judgment that was well within good medical judgment and not in any way deviant from the standard of care. I would ask that you find that Dr. Okiki was not negligent and didn't cause Ms. Smith's problems. Thank you. Well, I'd like to thank uh, Judge Mulaconda for ruling with such an iron fist. I'd like to thank Mr. Doff and Mr. Casti for your uh, intrigue, enthusiasm, and commitment to this educational process. Thanks to all the panelists uh, for exposing yourself to critique, and thank you to you, the jurors, for fulfilling your civil service. <laughs>